Open shop with a quarter. You know Keep a Glock for the order. Back. On the block, three or four, five days. I ain't worried about the odor. I'm just trying to meet the quota. Pissing spot on the sofa. Yeah. Almost died five or six, seven times. I ain't worried about Corona. Ooh. I keep a gun while I'm touring. I do. I keep a gun while performing. I do. I keep a gun in the form. Hope you don't think you important. Hundred thousand for the re up. I can really kick my feet up. Niggas really about to be up. Nigga really about them heaters. Uh, nigga quit rap on back. Half a minute strong, no cap. Just run laps, no nap. Just find a bag, no map. Give a head nod, no dap. Give a head tap, no rats. Remember I ain't had no packs. Remember I ain't had no racks. Just two bags in the bag. Shoot it up black on black. Hit the op up, take that. Then I do the race, race track. Hit the dealership, rape that. I was in the hoop way back. Now I'm in the coop made back. And I ain't got the roof in Growing up without a popper. Made me a shooter on mama. I'm a killer on Nana. Shoot shit up right on camera. Niggas geeking off of pills and bottles. Off of coke, I made a million dollars. I was just trying to get a whopper. And Burger King, I lost a quarter pounder. Open shop with a quarter. Keep a Glock for the order. On the block, three or four, five days. I ain't worried about the odor. I'm just trying to meet the quota. Pissy spot on the sofa. Almost died five or six, seven times. I ain't worried about Corona. I keep a gun while I'm touring. I keep a gun while performing. I keep a gun in the form. Hope you don't think you important. Hundred thousand for the re-up. I can really kick my feet up. Niggas really about to be up. Nigga really about them heaters. Uh. All right, we are here with episode three. Woo! What is up, YouTube podcast and family? It is K right here. I'm back with another good episode for y'all today. I will be covering on the recent victory of uh, Jamel Charlo versus uh, Brian Castaño 2 rematch. And um, I'm going to be just breaking down how I saw the fight. And uh, congratulations to Jermel Charlo on a stunning victory. Um, I thought Jermel Charlo did a good job. Um, he did what he had to do to uh, make himself the uh, victor. And I think, uh, you know, the biggest issue that a lot of people uh, didn't really tend to, tend to credit Jermel Charlo for was that he came in with like a completely different mindset in the uh, second fight. I thought how uh, Jermel Charlo, you know, like applied himself, you know, in the fight alone. Um, he did a very, very good job um, just making sure he was there to be, you know, very, very consistent. And um, I thought Jermel Charlo did what he had to do to be um, successful. And uh, I thought, you know, that the fight itself was uh, very, very successful. Uh, um, honestly, like, I felt like that the fight should have been on pay-per-view, to be honest. And um, I really thought that the fight really deserved itself to be, like, that type of fight where, you know, that the fight should have been, you know, on a high display of, you know, having, you know, like, a better, how should I say, like, Having, having like, a better promotion to it. Um, I thought Jamal Trilo did a phenomenal job. He came in with, like, a whole completely different mindset of how he, you know, um, applied himself in that fight. And I thought um, just as far as, like, how Jamal Trilo came into that fight super prepared of, like, a, of like um, I'm sorry. Um, he came into the fight super prepared and focused to the point where... He really wanted to win. And uh, Brian Castaño, um, I didn't really appreciate his uh, drive coming into uh, the fight itself. I kind of felt like he knew what was going to happen leading into this fight. And um, I think like, the biggest issue for Brian Castaño was that he thought that this fight was going to be, you know, the same fight from, you know, from the first fight. Um, a lot of people had probably thought that Brian Castaño was going to go in there and try to knock out Jermel Charlo, but um, that obviously was never to be the case. Brian Castaño, he was severely hurt once again to the point where he wasn't really able to do the things that he that he wanted to do. 
and um, I just thought, like, honestly, just based off of how I, I saw the fight, um, Brian Castano, he looked very, very defeated. Um, he didn't really have, like, how should I say, uh, the same, like, uh, of, of, of the same notion and drive to, to be, like, very, very dedicated and focused. Um, I, um, I actually just thought, just as far as how the fight went itself, um, going into the fight was just that, uh, you know, Jermel Charlo had, like, a better, you know, focus, go, like, you know, going into the fight, and Brian Castaño, he kind of overlooked Jermel Charlo's boxing ring IQ and the amount of, uh, dedication that he put it, that he put into his skill set, and I think, um, honestly, that's definitely credit to Derek James, uh, Derek James, um, he's a phenomenal trainer, uh, he did everything that he had to do to make sure Charlo won the fight. And I really thought, honestly, um, Jermel Charlo just looked like a more completely dangerous fighter um, that night. Um, a lot of people want to say Charlo, Charlo, Charlo had, you know, um, of, of like certain disadvantages that Brian Cassanio took advantage of, but. I didn't really see it to be like that. I, I kind of saw it to be like a very, very, how should I say, a very, very uh, one-sided fight. I thought Jermel Trilo did what he had to do to be in that notion of uh, actually winning the fight. But I, I kind of thought, you know, like eventually um, it was going to come to like a point where uh, Jermel Trilo, he, um, he was going to take over. He was going to get into that clutch mode and just basically just, you know, take out Brian Castaño bit by bit to the point where Castaño, he couldn't continue. Uh, the end result was that Jermel Trello knocked out Brian Castaño um, in the 10th round. Um, it was a very, very good fight, extremely competitive. And uh, uh, Jermel Trello, you know, he came to fight. Uh, he definitely did what he had to do. And... I think honestly, um, a lot of people didn't want to give him credit where credit was due because you know they probably had thought he was never going to be that focused fighter. But nah, he uh, showed out. Um, he did what he said he was going to do. Um, he wasn't gonna. Um, he wasn't going to leave it to the judges and make the fight harder for himself to win. In which um, he still had troubles with Brian Castaño, but. I, like, I thought, you know, like, eventually he kind of got his bearings, you know, together, and he was able to do what he, like, on uh, what he wanted to do. Um, he just kind of got into these, like, mental lapses that I said from the previous episode, where he wasn't really, like, taking the fight a little bit more seriously to use his jab more and be more, um, how should I say, to be more um, 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 aggressive with his boxing fundamentals because he definitely could have knocked out Brian Cassano to make it, you know, a lot easier. And I kind of felt like that pretty much was like the whole notion of like what he wanted to do from the beginning rounds, but Jermel Charlo he just didn't use his jab more actively that that could have easily made the fight a lot easier. And I just thought honestly, you know, Jermel Charlo kind of just made himself look a lot worse trying to not use his jab active enough and he would have easily won the fight just based off of him being more you know active with his jab and like you know for Brian Castano's case uh he's just that type of fighter where he's similar to Virgil Ortiz in a way like you know sadly because you know like I don't really think of Brian Castano to be a Virgil Ortiz type of fighter because, you know, at, um, at least with Brian Castaño's fighting style, he's able to prioritize himself a lot better, you know, under the bright lights uh, when it comes to pressure. But I think uh, for a Virgil Ortiz type of fighter, um, Virgil Ortiz is just like the type of dude where he gets hit way too much to the point where you know what's going to happen. And I don't really like that out of him. Because Virgil Ortiz, you know, he has great skills, but the problem with him is just that he's very, very defenseless at times or multiple times to the point where 
his, uh, you know, walk you down type of Mexican fighting style uh, doesn't really suit him. And, you know, that's really what just gets him, you know, put, put, put into a bad position where he's not really as, you know, as uh, successful that people want to see him to be. So I think that's something that Brian Cassano ha has uh, similarities in where he really needs to work on his uh, defensive mechanisms, but also move your head. Uh, that's what caused him, you know, like, like uh, that's what caused him the fight to lose to um, Jermel Charlo. And I think the biggest issue was that Brian Cassano had thought Jermel Charlo was going to make the same mistakes from the first fight. So therefore, Brian Cassano thought he could just go in, you know, with uh, the same style from the first fight that could beat Jermel Charlo. But obviously that wasn't to be the case. Brian Cassano just made horrible mistakes. He left his chin wide open at multiple times. And he just left himself wide open to the body where Jermel Charlo, he's not known to be a body puncher. But um, um, if he had like, the same traits as Errol Spence, um, he definitely would have stopped you know, Brian Cassano to the body. And, you know, Jermel Charlo, if he prioritized his combinations a lot more fluidly, he definitely would have won the fight simply based off of just, you know, defensive ring IQ and uh, just pure boxing um, um, ability because that's what would have made Jermel Charlo successful in the fight alone. But I just think, honestly, like, you know, Jermel Charlo deserves to be, you know, recognized as, like, one of the baddest fighters, you know, in the division, because, you know, he, um, he is a very, very dangerous, you know, fighter, but I think his level of skill set would be a lot better if he listens to Derek James and, and prioritizes his pure boxer puncher, um, mechanics, because, you know, Jermel Charlo would, like, like, um, he would easily knock guys out a lot faster, um, if he had the ability to just listen to Derek James and just basically adapt to anything that, like, like um, anything that's put um, in front of him. So, I think Jermel Charlo, um, he can easily take over um, plenty of uh, fighters in multiple divisions, but definitely at 154, Jermel Charlo, he is a killer. Um, um, honestly, that's why people call him Lions Only. Or that's why he calls like um um he calls himself um, lions only, you know, for the sake of him, you know, taking over everything, you know, with a lion-like mentality, next to his twin brother, twin brother um, Jamal Charlo. So, I guess that the biggest question is that like like uh, that um a lot of people want to know is uh what's next for Jamal Charlo, um. Jermel Charlo, he doesn't really have to really do anything right now, but I say for the future, I think that the best move for him is to move up to 160, and he's going to have a great undisputed choice of selections to go, you know, whichever title route that he wants to, like, he wants to go to, to basically do the same thing at 160 to become, you know, probably a two-division undisputed world champion, which I think that's what's probably going to happen because Showtime and the PBC can can easily have him and like you know, um, Aris like um, um, Aris Landy Lara fight for his uh, WBA regular sh of like um, regular belt. So if uh, Jermel Charlo wants to do that, he can easily do that. But I mean, if he wants to go to different prom different promotional platforms i think uh, the best move for him is to go to the zone take out jaime Mangia, and he can now you know go for the you know wbc or wbo belt and i think uh the best route is to probably go the wbo route so that way he can take everybody out um um a lot easier from the um other you know promotional stables but I just think based off of, like, Jermel Charlo's, you know, uh, like, um, potential of, uh, what, what he can, like, uh, what he can possibly do, um, he has plenty of, um, options and plenty of, uh, potential killers that will be in the way for the middleweight division, but not to mention, uh, there is another fighter that 
um, a lot of people don't really be talking about that's on the DAZN stable, but that would be Mr. Austin Ammo Williams. See, now, the problem with him is that I'm not too sure what the WBA will be doing for Austin Ammo Williams because, you know, whether if he is uh, potentially ranked or not, I don't think his movement will be as hard for him to get a title shot very soon because, like, obviously the WBA belt is basically going to be wide open when, you know, like uh, Gennady Golovkin decides to vacate to move up to get beat up by by uh, Canelo Alvarez for the quote-unquote trilogy that no one really ever asked for. But I think that's what's probably going to be the move. And then what's going to happen is that for the WBA belt, uh, the WBA will probably be up for grabs through... Um, I'm not too sure who's ranked in the WBA rankings. I could take a look at it right now. But I'm almost positive uh, Jaime Munguia, he's ranked high in the WBO. But for the WBA, hold on, uh, WBA middleweight rankings... For the WBA middleweight rankings, uh, it says here on their website, for the WBA, uh, for the middleweight division, um, Mr. Chris Eubanks Jr. is number one, Jaime Munguia is number two, Sergio Martinez is number three, Ryota Morata is number four, Michael Zarafa from Australia is uh, number five, um, Anatoly Muratov is number six. Janabek um, Alema uh, Kunali is number seven. Austin Williams is number eight, and number nine is um, Almacar Vidal. Um, he's a Uruguayan fighter. He's a like um, pretty good fighter, but uh, decent to say the least. And then for number ten, you have Gary O'Sullivan, and then twelve is Jason Rosario for some weird reason, and then. 13, Christopher and Felix Cash, number 14. 15 is Thomas uh, Lamana, but I don't really give two shits about, you know, those guys, honestly. But, um, I mean, Jason Rosario, that's definitely going to be a, a future contender or a future player in the middleweight division. I'm not too sure what, what he's going to be doing, but um, if him and Charlo see each other once again, that's going to be a damn good fight. But Austin Williams, he's number 8. Janabek's number 7. Uh, Murata... For some weird reason, he's number four. I don't know why, but that's just weird. But, yeah, Chris Chris Eubank will be in line to get the WBA belt. But for those of you that want to know about Arislandy Lara, he'll be facing Gary O'Sullivan from, from what I have heard. So, therefore, he's going to make his title defense against Gary O'Sullivan. So, from that point on, Jermel Charlo, he can be next in line to probably face... Arislandy Lara, but if he wants to stay busy, I think he should go get a fight with Chris Eubank Jr. Because you can easily beat his ass, and then after that, once Demetrius Andrade's belt will be vacated for the w WBO belt, I'm like honestly, I think of like uh, Jermel Charlo should should go for the WBO because for the WBA, he's gonna have to probably go through either Chris Eubank or he'll probably end up be facing Arislandy Lara, which I don't see that happening because it's like, you know, by the WBA's rules, you know, like if you want to become a super champion, you have to unify it. So I think what Jermel should be doing is that he should go up to the WBO route and get that fight in because because I believe by, by the WBO's rules, you can automatically become a, you know, mandatory, you know, uh, contender or mandatory challenger when you're able to, you know, be uh, next in line, you know, as a um, like um, as a um, 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 undisputed like like a champion from an like a, from another uh, division. So therefore, uh, what happens is is that when someone that was the previous mandatory, you know, before you, that needs to have their shot to you know get a shot at the world title, I think that person has to go through, you know, um, filing their paperwork to become the mandatory for the for the WBL belt, and then whoever is behind that person, i.e. like a, um, like a uh, Jermel Charlo, that will be 
the um, mandatory challenger next in line to go for that WBO belt, that's basically what will happen to prioritize, you know, that, um, I guess, like, a fill-in spot to make sure that, like, like uh, to make sure that you as a undisputed champion from another division that's moving up to that to that next division you will get your spot but you have to make sure whoever is like a mandatory uh before you they have to file their paperwork on time to make sure that uh that they keep their spot otherwise you can automatically get that spot um if nobody hasn't put in put in for their paperwork to become the mandatory for that championship so I think the WBO route would be good for Jamel Charlo because Gennady Golovkin, he's going to vacate his belts anyway, so he's not going to do shit with them, and I don't think Gennady's going to have balls to really ever try to unify try to, try to unify the middleweight division because he already knows that Jamal Charlo and Demetrius Andrade, they've been wanted to fight him, and Triple G is just too pussy enough to really ever want you know any problems with uh like on um, with uh like uh, with um of like uh jamal charlo so i think what like, the best route for jamal charlo is to either go the wba route or 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 possibly go the ibf route which i think that's a better route because you can automatically get your title shot right away but you ha but um you just have to make sure that the mandatory you know before you doesn't you know uh file like you know file their paperwork you know, to become, you know, the solidified mandatory. So, I think either way, um, it's um, it's very um, um, interesting to see what the middleweight division will do because Jamal Charlo said he's going to move up to 168. So, I think that's what's probably going to happen. And that's going to be very, very interesting to see Jamal Charlo, you know, up there at that level. And uh, I definitely like to see what's going to happen for, for Jamal Charlo at 168. See now for Jamal Charlo's case, um, people some people want to say like, oh, well he should stay at 154 and defend his titles one more time, and possibly face a guy like Sebastian Fundora or Tim Zhu. And I'm like, honestly, he really doesn't need to be fighting them. He could easily say fuck you to both of them, and he should be saying that Canelo bullshit to say, well, you guys should fight each other. And I shouldn't need to be fighting you. You guys should handle your business however y'all handle your business. And therefore, everything is basically set in stone. But I think once the belts are basically vacated for 154, the division is basically completely wide open for, for anybody to grab it. So the next you know future world champions in line that will get the belt or potentially get a, get a shot at those belts will be guys like Tim Zhu, um, uh, Sebastian Fundora, and then obviously you got Errol Spence that will come up, you know, to that weight class, and, and Jerron Ennis, you know, which, like, you know, that's going to be mentally insane to see those guys in there. They're probably going to beat up on Fundora and Tim Zhu. And then definitely, you know, Erickson Lubin, sadly, you know, knowing that, you know, um, he's going through his um, recovery process, but. You know, he like um he'll probably get back get back um um into uh the mix, and uh, you know like uh, plenty of um of um other high class like you know level fighters like Jesus Ramos Jr. and uh, who else Xander Sias like you know hopefully uh you know you got guys like Trevon Marshall he's gonna be a major mega star you know at 154 that's gonna be insane. Hold on, give me one second. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. So, yeah, basically the state of the divisions will be very interesting to see where things will go because I do think uh, how Jamel Charlo will visualize, you know, the divisions will be that he'll be in a very good spot financially and politically how he's going to move in the rankings he's going to move extremely fast um i think the pbc or showtime well pbc and showtime are technically the same thing but how the pbc will go about with making sure um you know things will be moved for your jamel charlo is that he'll have a lot of uh you know opportunities to do the things that 
he wants to do. And um, I think, honestly, based off of what he will do, is that he uh, he will be very, very successful in his undisputed reign once again for 160 for the middleweight division. And I think that will probably be the same thing for Jamal Charlo, too, because if Jamal Charlo can, you know, aggressively push for, you know, the fights with, um, with, uh, uh, like, um, Canelo Alvarez and then all the other guys like David Benavidez, um, you know, Demetrius Andrade and plenty of other guys that we probably don't know that are on the come up. Oh, obviously David Morrell. I can't really forget about him. And, uh, just so much talent that's out there, uh, you know, there's just plenty of names that we just haven't heard of that can easily just upset so many quote-unquote good, like, you know, good high-level fighters. And I think uh, that's what's, like, of, of, of like, uh, that's like the pure beauty of pure high-level competitive sports where the best competition is aggressively facing each other and they're proving a point to one another, but they're also proving a point to themselves of what they can do to be successful. So, I think either way, uh, Jamel Charlo's title reign will be very, very um, um, interesting. And I think 160 will be a very easy division for him, for him to get up there to the level of where he wants to be. But as far as that goes, congratulations to him knocking out Brian Castaño because he really... You know, um, he really probably didn't think that he was actually winning on the scorecards. And um, I personally thought, you know, Jamel Charlo did what he had to do to be successful. But I think what the biggest issue was just that um, Brian Castaño, he had a lot of disadvantages that weren't working well. And Jamel Charlo just, like, you know, basically took advantage of him. And use it to his, you know, um, high-level fighting ability to the point where he was able to disrupt, you know, Brian Castaño. And uh, just basically beat him down to the punch. Um, he definitely had fight in him for Brian Castaño. But I think eventually uh, there was just like a point within that fight where Brian Castaño... He wasn't able to do the things that he said he that that he said he wanted to do to Jermel Charlo, and uh, Jermel Charlo just came out a lot more um, um, aggressive in the fight, and he had a lot more persistence in that fight as well. And the punches that Brian Castano was landing was not even like uh, the type of punches where you could actually be like you know intimidated. So. I, um, I, I personally didn't really think Brian Castaño had anything to give to Jamel Charlo. And I thought Jamel Charlo, um, he just came out like, uh, um, um, he came out to be like, like, uh, to be the more, uh, dangerous, dangerous, um, a dangerous, um, level fighter. So, uh, uh, credit to, to Jamel Charlo and credit to Derrick James, man. He needs to be trainer of the year. He deserves it. He's a monster. Um, he has two unified uh, champions, um, um, if not soon to be undisputed for, for Errol Spence if he's able to beat up on Terrence Crawford. And then, you know, obviously Jermel Charlo, that's a huge victory on Derek James's um, resume. And uh, honestly, his, you know, resume status as a, like, you know, as a coach you know, nobody can't match him. You know, Derek James is good for what he does. Uh, people want to say uh, guys like guys like um, um, Eddie Reynoso, he's a good trainer, and he deserves to be trainer of the year. But I'm sorry, but um, Eddie Reynoso has three drug cheats that lost consecutively within a year's worth of time. and Or I would probably say six to nine months worth of time. And he hasn't done shit, you know? Eddie Reynoso, he hasn't done anything successful with his fighters for him to make the proper adjustments for his fighters so that way his fighters can elevate to become great in what they do. So, 
either way, Derrick James, he's the victor. Derrick James is, you know, the true undisputed trainer of the year, trainer of this generation, you know, type of, um, type of, uh, how should I say, um, instructor for the, like, you know, for the pure fundamentalist um, IQ of boxing, you know, mechanics. So, uh, Derek James definitely, definitely deserves to be trainer of the year, and um, he's definitely a Hall of Fame, like, Hall of Fame trainer uh, um, candidate, too. So, yeah, that's pretty much it for for Jamel Charlo, and um, I, I wanted to talk more about Jaron Ennis. Uh, I, I wanted to give him his uh, credit for what he did. Um, he knocked out Kusio Clayton in two rounds. Uh, that was a very, very good fight. And uh, Jaron Ennis, he showed levels. You know, he um, he showed what he had to do to to be that guy, to be the man that that beats everybody. So, I mean, honestly, uh, I personally give Jaron Ennis his props. Um, he deserved everything um, out of that fight. And, uh, you know, what, what he did to Kusio Clayton, you know, basically, um, you know, made a statement. And uh, th that definitely showed pure levels to his game. Um, obviously, you know, he hasn't really done anything special to show his pure talent as a fighter I would say for that fight in general that basically showed like 50 well I wouldn't even say that I, I, I like I would personally say that like that only showed like 10% of what he like you know partially used to give Guccio Clayton you know like you know massive problems to the point where Clayton was basically touted by some people to say that he um, he basically just went in to basically take a check or to uh, take a dive, but um, I don't think that was to ever be the case. I think Husio Clayton knew what was going to happen, but he wanted to give it his best shot to be the best at what he wanted to do, and uh, sadly, that's kind of like the worst thing that you could ever do is get knocked out by a you know, hungry, rising, you know, um, um, up-and-coming, you know, future world-class, you know, championship-level fighter like uh, Jaron Ennis. So, I think either way, Kusio uh, Clayton did what, like, um, he did what he could, but um, his style was just not, you know, basically a threat to Jaron Ennis, and Jaron Ennis was a bad style matchup for Kusio Clayton. So I, I definitely give Jaron Ennis his uh, props because he's a very dangerous, you know, level fighter. And uh, he hasn't really shown his true potential, you know, as a fighter yet. Do I think he could beat guys like um, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford? Um, for EJ, I don't think he can potentially beat him. Uh, I, I, I truly think EJ's fighting style will give Jaron Ennis a lot of destructive problems, but... I think Boots can very well hurt EJ and very well give him, you know, the toughest fight of his life. But I but I think EJ's high-level ring experience and his ring IQ as a fighter will just basically be like the, uh, how should I say it, uh, that will be like the biggest game-changer out of what that fight um, um, alone. So I don't think Errol Spence is basically afraid of Jaron Ennis, and I think... Jaron Ennis knows what's basically put in front of him against a guy like um, Errol Spence. Hold on. I'll be right back. Alright, I'm back. So, yeah. Basically, with uh, Jaron Ennis, um, he has a good, like, you know, decent ceiling for what he wants to do for the um, welterweight division. And I think uh, everything will basically go well into plan for what, uh, um, whatchamacallit, for what PBC wants to move in Jaron Ennis's uh, direction. So, I guess that the biggest issue with Jaron Ennis is who is willing to fight him. Because Jaron Ennis, he is basically going to be that, you know, boogeyman for 147 for quite a long time. And I think the only people that will ever be confident enough to fight him 
will probably be guys like maybe uh, Gary Antoine Russell or maybe a, um, um, a Monta Stanionis or possibly Butaev. Like, I'm not too sure Butaev would ever want to get in there with Boots, but I wouldn't be surprised if Butaev wants to fight him. Um, I, I personally wouldn't, want, like, um, wouldn't mind seeing a fight with uh, Keith Thurman if Keith Thurman's able to fight Jaron Ennis. So I think the options are very, very high for Jaron Ennis, and I think his ceiling will gain a lot of traction um, regardless of who he is uh, um, ever fighting. Uh, the biggest issue is just, you know, obviously just who's able to fight him and the criticism that Jaron Ennis will receive based off of how, you know, the fans treat him similar to Errol Spence, where everybody's like, oh, well, this guy, he was a bum, he wasn't this, you know, when Errol Spence fought him, and blah, 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 you know, uh, people, like, uh, people will always try to cling on to that to say, oh, well, you're just fighting somebody else's, you know, leftovers, knowing that not everybody's style is the same compared to the fighter that had destroyed or that had beat that that you know particular fighter so i just think based off of you know the level of skill set and the level of competition and the skill set potential that that fighter has to potentially beat that other fighter that's what really makes like a different fighter at the um end of the day because if you're not able to bring what is there for the table to be successful then that's what you know holds you back as a fighter where you're not able to do the things that you think that you can do and it puts you you know in a bad spot where you're not really able to you know be successful in your own um right you know to basically hold yourself as a potential world-class you know championship level fighter so I think Jaron Ennis, uh, he'll have, like, a very, very good ceiling. Um, I'm not really too worried about what's going to happen for him. I think he's going to be, you know, rising to the occasion. And he's going to just take over the same thing that... Or he's going to take over the same role that Errol Spence, you know, went through. He basically went through that, you know, that, you know, that warrior stage or he went through that guard dog stage where everybody's like oh well you know he should fight this guy he should fight that guy he should be let the you know let the warlord you know um like basically like a warlord gatekeeper to say hey you need to go through me if you want to get through him type of person and obviously that wasn't to be the case you know um Arrow Spence just blew everybody out and from there on he was viewed as one of the most dangerous fighters, you know, in the welterweight division. And now here we are leading into a Errol Spence that became a three-belt unified world champion within the span of, well, I mean, he's been pro since, like, what, 2007 or 2008? But, I mean, within that time frame, Errol Spence has done a very, very good job, and he has just made himself a very, very successful fighter. And uh, I personally think that's what's going to happen for Jaron Ennis. He came into the sport very, very early. And his potential as a fighter is just getting better at the end of the day. Um, I don't really care what anybody has to say. I mean, I think Jaron Ennis, he's ready for, you know, all the top dogs. And I think it's only due time where, you know, we can, like, um, we can come back and say, wow, Jaron Ennis, he's such a very dangerous like um level fighter and he has proven himself to be you know the most dangerous you know supreme level fighter you know of this uh potential generation so i think uh jaron Ennis, he's gonna go through the same notions as um errol spence and i think his career is you know basically just getting started um obviously the knockout over Cusio clayton didn't really show that much high level potential out of what he should have done um you know obviously his father wants him to go you know more rounds so that way he can be brought to deep waters but i don't think you should really be doing that to low level opposition when you know you can get them out of there uh, because you're gonna be like you know having those like you know habits to be like 
uh, defensively irresponsible. And I think like by that time, you're not going to be uh, ready for the world title level, uh, to which <clears throat> I don't think Jerron Ennis is in that situation. I think Jerron Ennis, he's just going to be his regular self, and he's just going to show levels you know, to the game. He's just going to show why there's certain evolutionary paths that you take as an athlete to be you know, at that grander stage. And I think Jerron Ennis, he's just so good at what he does because, you know, he's a rare breed. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's a very, very rare breed type of fighter. And he just has so many, um, you know, mechanics of his arsenal to be such a, you know, demonic level warrior. Like, you know, how I kind of put it in my own, you know, fictional mind. You know, think of Jerron Ennis like a Mortal Kombat character mixed with a Tekken fighter. And he's just, like, by far the most dangerous character out of the entire game alone, if that was ever put into a video game world. But that's how I see Jerron Ennis. He's just that good of a fighter where everything that he does as a fighter, he makes himself better. And uh, he just keeps getting more dangerous, you know, um, um, as uh, the uh, fight continues to... Uh, 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 continues to um, progress. So, I think Jerron Ennis, he's on his way, and um, I don't really see that many flaws, you know, out of him. He's just another hungry, you know, destructive lion, Terminator-like fighter, where he's just ready to just, like, you know, blow through everybody out. And I think the welterweight division, they're going to be afraid of Jerron Ennis for a very, very long time. And I think Jerron Ennis, he's going to reign supreme. He's going to take over 147 uh, fairly easily. And I think 154 will be his hardest uh, division. And then maybe 160 and maybe 168. And I think he wants to take a dab at 175. Uh, Jerron Ennis' plan um, is to become, you know, like what Canel Alvarez, you know, doesn't want to do. Become undisputed in multiple divisions and, and just become... I guess, at the face of boxing, you know, like people try to paint Canelo Alvarez uh, to be. So, uh, personally for me, I give Jerron Ennis a lot of credit because he is probably one of the fewest fighters that will take the biggest risk, you know, up against, you know, the most dangerous, like, you know, level competition that can be out there that we know today in boxing, like a Errol Spence or a you know, possibly Terrence Crawford, like, you know, level type of fighter. So, I mean, for a guy like him to be 20, uh, of, like, of, of like, on what, uh, 29 and 0, like, um, literally on a, what, um, 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 18 fight, uh, um, knockout streak, uh, Jerron Ennis, he's just, you know, soaring like a, of like, um, he's soaring like a dragon. So, I think his, uh, Potential, you know, in the boxing, you know, superstar stage, I think Jerron Ennis, he's going to take over, and there's going to be big fights coming his way very, very soon. And I think uh, knowing that he had now solidified himself to become the mandatory for the um, IBF, I think Jerron Ennis, he's just, you know, um, already there. So, I mean, personally for me, uh, I think this is, you know, terrific news. Because, you know, Jerron Ennis, you know, he had to get through, you know, all the heavy lifting of uh, just trying to basically fight whoever. And, I mean, people, like, you know, people obviously don't want to see him to be successful uh, because they're treating him just like uh, um, um, Errol Spence. So, I think Jerron Ennis, he's doing a very, very good job. He's keeping himself active, and he's just progressing as a you know, of like a future world championship level fighter. So, uh, personally for me, like I want to see him in there with a guy like Keith Thurman. I think that's a, like, um, I personally think that's the next best fight for Jerron Ennis. And, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him, like, uh, seeing him, um, um, in there with like a guy like, hmm, I don't know. Honestly, like, I think what Jerron Ennis' plan will be is that he's just going to wait it out between, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, and if they don't fight EJ, he's just going to vacate, and then Jerron Ennis, um, he's going to become, you know, the mandatory, obviously, you know, for the, like, for the, um, IBF belt, so, 
I think he's already on his like on his uh, way to becoming very uh, successful. So I I think it's just only like a matter of uh, time for him to get up there and just like you know do the things that he wanted to do in the first place because you know at the end of the day Jaron Ennis um, he is you know very like you know very well ready for the you know world championship level fights but I just think it's only like a matter of time where we just see him in there with like you know um, um, all the top level uh, competition so. I think uh, uh, Jaron Ennis, you know, um, he's going to be in there with a lot of top-level killers. But I think for 147, everything is basically going to be pretty weak for him. Uh, I don't see him, you know, being in there with that many names that we potentially know that will be on the come-up at 147. I think, honestly, for new talent that will be coming in to 147 like a Brian Norman Jr. or a Gary Antoine Russell or a, um, how should I say, I'll probably say Shannard Bunch. I think Shannard Bunch, he'll make some noise at 147. Uh, knowing that, from what I know, I believe he's a 140, uh, like, yeah, yeah, um, he's a 140 pounds um, fighter. So I, um, I don't think Shannard Bunch will um, ever see Jaron Ennis, but... That will be a good fight somewhere down the line. Maybe Evan Holyfield. Sadly, you know, obviously um, he got knocked out um, in his um, last fight. You know, on the, uh, like like uh, for this past um, weekend's you know trailer fight card. Sadly, um, by uh, some you know black fighter that I don't really know. But either way, um, Evan Holyfield he could definitely make noise at 147 because he said he wanted to move down because um, 154 is not his um, natural weight class so I think 147 will be his like you know next stop and I think he'll definitely shine a lot better like uh, for that um, weight class and uh, obviously you know for those of you that don't know the Vargas brothers uh, Fernando Vargas's sons they were on the card and um I wasn't really too surprised on them, you know, like, I don't really think they're that good of fighters, and I think, uh, like, like, it's only, like, a matter of time when they get exposed, you know, by somebody that can actually fight, because, like, I don't think, um, Emiliano Vargas is that good, I don't think Fernando Vargas Jr., um, is that good, <clears throat> but I think Amato, he might have a chance, I don't think Amato is like supremely good but i think like knowing how the state of 130 pound division is i think he's gonna get smoked by like a guy like floyd schofield or like you know anybody to the level of what like, the top 100 or 200 level fighters but you know um any you know um american level competition that that we haven't heard of i think um amato he's gonna have like a tough fight up against them and I think he could very well lose, you know. Like, I don't think he's actually that good, honestly. And I think he has a lot of growing up to do. But I think eventually, once he gets his, you know, rhythm in as a fighter, he's definitely going to be up there. Like, I like him as a fighter, but I'm just not sold on this, you know, hype train of them being but the next superstars in boxing. Because it's like, you know, that's what they're basically going through right now. Everyone's just hyping them up to be, like, these next, you know, like, uh, these next big, you know, superstars, you know, just like their father, but, you know, like, it's not gonna be like that, like, it's gonna more like be like, you know, nobody doesn't really know them that well until they actually get up there and actually face, you know, the top-level opposition, you know, be, of, of like, because, uh, like, the uh, big difference between them and their father is that their father fought the best, and he lost, you know, to the best um, opposition, so... I don't really see the Vargas brothers really making that much noise, but if they can make noise at their respected weight, like um um at their respected weight divisions, uh, then I'm all for it. It's just like at the end of the day, they just need to like you know prove it to me. That's all. But as far as you know, any other fights that I've watched, uh oh, also shout out to a female fighter that I am uh, uh, mutual friends with. 
Um, her name is uh, um, Rihanna Rios, for those of you that don't know, but she's a fighter out of the Maryland area, if I'm not mistaken. But she had recently got a second round TKO victory over uh, some, like, um, um, I want to say uh, um, European fighter. Her name was Vera Kubrikova. Uh, but um, that was like a good, you know, decent victory. Um, um, I'm not too sure what weight class that that um rihanna fights on i think she told me that she moved down from from a bantamweight to um uh, to super flyweight which is from from um uh, from bantamweight which is um, um 118 pounds to the super flyweight division which is three pounds uh, um under at 115 pounds so either way uh like uh, um congratulations to her She's a very, very good fighter. Um, I suggest that you guys should check her out and uh, definitely give her a follow at her Instagram, at Rihanna Rios, on the Instagram platform. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, man, like, I, uh, um, like, I really don't have anything else left to say. I think Jermel Charlo's, you know, um, um, undisputed reign will continue. And I think a uh, Brian Cassano win will define how good of a fighter he really is to be that type of, you know, um, Hall of Fame level um, um, of, 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 like, um, um, athlete in the sport of boxing. Um, <clears throat> I would definitely rate a, a Jermel Charlo uh, um, resume to be Hall of Fame, like, um, Hall of Fame, um, Hall of Fame uh, uh, um, level uh, um, matchmaking because uh, Jermel Charlo went through all the... Uh, like like um um all the um dangerous um opponents that y that um that um you can think of, and he did everything correctly. So I have to give him his props, and I think eventually uh, people will start to you know actually um, respect him more when it's all said and done. So yeah, that's pretty much it, man. I mean, I'm very very happy that Jermel Charlo won. Like, I'm still not happy with, like, what he did, you know, with his, um, um, outside comments of talking about Deontay Walder and all that nonsensical BS, but either way, uh, you know, like, I'm happy that Jermel Charlo did what he had to do. Um, hopefully he can be more, um, appreciative of, of his, um, black, like, a uh, black American, like, a uh, black American, uh, um, fan base more and not be, how should I say, uh, very resentful and very uh, divisive to the point where he's actually losing his uh, fans. I mean, personally, for me, like, I, uh, like I'm not going to be supporting his fights um, like um, if he ever fights on pay-per-view because, you know, like, I think, you know, he has, like, a lot of thinking to do with, like, what he says about his uh, fans um, that uh, criticize him. You know, that me, of, of like, uh, being um, one of them, uh, that's included in that bunch. But I just think Jermel Charlo, he needs to think a lot better before he, like, uh, before he says anything. And I don't really respect uh, the fact that when he knows he's wrong, he doesn't, you know, like, you know, take ownership of it. And he acts very, very cocky to the point where that leads his mental fortitude, uh, like, uh, failed you know, going into his big fights, and I don't think that's very smart um, um, of him because he's putting himself in a bad position where he's going to basically, you know, feel bad about, you know, like what he says because, you know, obviously Jamel Charlo, he's a very um, emotional person, but it's just like, you know, you know, but the words that you say at certain times uh, throughout certain discussions that he has, like, that's pretty much what's going to bite him, like, um, um, in the ass that will put him in a bad position where he's going to start thinking about what people say about him, and then that's going to take his focus away heading into a big fight or any fight that he gets into, and I don't think that's something that Jermel Charlo should be doing. He really needs to just stop, you know, talking and, and just focus on his, uh, career, because he has like a very very good promising 
you know, good few couple of like a good few years left in boxing. He's about to be 32 years old this week, but uh, the Charlo brothers, you know, I probably want to say that uh, they're going to be um, in boxing for that much um, for that much um, longer. I think I'd probably say give it like three, four years left, and then that's where the Charlo brothers will stop, you know, boxing by like, you know, late 35 or, you know, probably early, you know, 36 years old, you know, type of, um, uh, like type of, um, age, like, a like a bracket. So I'm not really like, you know, too concerned about like how long that, like, uh, how long they plan to stay in boxing for. Uh, but I think Charlo's like, um, Charlo's, um, mental fortitude needs to be, you know, focus, you know, like, a lot better, you know, primarily for Jamel Charlo. I think Jamel Charlo, you know, he doesn't really care what, um, anybody really says to him, and he kind of keeps everything to himself, but, but he sometimes says something that will be stupid at times, but, uh, Jamel Charlo, he's a type of dude where you obviously know there's something wrong with him, but he chooses not to fix his problems because he's too emotionally, you know, de like, uh, detached from, like, what people have to say to him. And I think that's not something good that you should have as a professional fighter uh, because, you know, you obviously put yourself in a very, very bad spot where you're not really focused and then somebody's going to catch you you know, on a bad night where you're, you could potentially lose. So I think uh, Charlo, he needs to just work on that. And I think Derek James, he needs to be a little bit more stricter on him to make sure that Charlo actually is focusing. Because if he's not going to be focusing, then Derek James should, like, you know, automatically tell Charlo, okay, well, you know, knowing that you did good for me, you know, like, you know, like uh, throughout all these years, you know, I don't really need you anymore because like you're obviously not wanting to listen to me and you know but you make it harder on yourself to put yourself at a higher success when you clearly have all the skills and and all the, the, the like um all the um all the um potential to be great but you know like if you're not going to you know put your mindset to be focused on boxing then you know there's no need for a guy like Derrick James to have a guy like Jamel Charlo, you know, in his uh, stable if he's not willing to actually listen. Because at least with Errol Spence, you know, Errol Spence, he listens to Derrick James. And Derrick James, he just gives Errol Spence the proper instructions, you know, to win a fight or to execute certain things in training. And guess what? Errol Spence, he's very, very successful. So I think that's something that, that uh, Jamel Charlo needs to work on, man. You know, uh, that's, uh, like, uh, that's obviously no shade to, uh, Jamel Charlo. That's simply due to his mental fortitude not being, you know, straightened out and him not acting like a grown man that he claims, uh, to be. And I think, uh, that's something that needs to be addressed because, you know, obviously you don't want somebody like that, you know, around your family or friends where he's not being mentally stable and he could end up doing something stupid where he could end up being either thrown in jail or, you know, just be, you know, how should I say, slandered by the um, racist media or somewhere, you know, beyond those lines where Jamel Charlo's, you know, imagery gets really, really bad. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'll be back on with another episode for you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it was definitely a good episode that I enjoyed, you know, doing. A good solid hour for you guys to listen to and uh obviously i will be back with uh david benavidez uh fight card or post fight like you know reaction or whatever you guys want to say for that but i'll be back for that and then hopefully on thursday i will have a exclusive interview with rashad mati which that will be a very very good good interview so I am definitely looking forward to speaking with him. And yeah, that's going to be very, very fun. So uh, hopefully, you know, you guys can watch that. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know who Rashad Mati is, he's that welterweight fighter 
that fought like uh, 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 that had recently fought on the um, Amanda Serrano and, and uh, Katie Taylor fight card. So he was uh, part of the like um, he was part of the um, preliminary fights, you know, on like you know on on that fight card. So uh, much respect and credit to um, Rashad Mahdi. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. So. I will see you guys later. Salute to the mighty, mighty LDBC. And I'm out. See you guys later. Bye.